0: Good. You with me? Yeah. All right. Let's start with Bethlehem birth. Here we go. Bethlehem birth, Egypt, flight, home to Nazareth, carpenter. Jesus goes down into the Jordan River where he is what? Baptist. Baptized by John out into the wilderness where he is what? Tempted by Satan. Three first. firsts. Perea, first followers, takes them to the wedding in Cana, does the first miracle. What is the first miracle? Water into wine. Then down to Jerusalem for the first cleansing and tells Nicodemus about the second birth. Now he comes north through Sychar, meets the woman at the well, home to Nazareth, and he has a great rejection. They tried to throw him off the cliff. So he finds a new hometown. The new hometown is what? Capernaum. He begins to demonstrate his authority. He has a great conflict with the religious leaders, and we call that a spat. Two S's, selection of the twelve, Sermon on the Mount, power from Satan, parables, a storm stilled, a crowd filled. Two T's, testimony of Peter. Transfiguration. Let your hands go down through Sychar. This time we have a great rejection down to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. Stones flew and so Jesus withdrew. He goes to where? Perea, counting the cost and seeking the lost. The last couple of weeks he goes into Judea where we have Lazarus raised and Zacchaeus praised. Then we got last week to Jerusalem for the last week of Jesus' life. And we're going to put your left hand up and your thumb is Sunday. What happened on Sunday. Triumphal entry. Monday we have the what? Temple cleansing. Tuesday we have the testing of the Lamb. Wednesday is the day of silence. Thursday, your ring finger, we have the Last Supper and he prayed and we're going to see tonight he is betrayed. Okay, prayed and betrayed. Good, have a seat. Great job. The last time we were together, we ended up, after the upper room discourse, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has now offered up his soul to God. And we said one of the problems in studying the life of Christ is what is this cup that he says, "Oh Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. We said there are three possibilities. One is his death. We said that's not likely because on four different occasions he predicts his physical death. The second possibility is his premature death, that he would die too soon in order to fulfill the prophet's. And that is not the case either because Jesus is in control of his death. He doesn't lose his life. He gives his life away and dismisses his spirit we're going to see in our next hour on the cross. And so what I said I think the cup is is Jesus' spiritual death. That for the first time he has uh, been willing to be separated from God which takes place on the cross during uh, the the last three hours on uh, the cross at Calvary. And so we're going to see, beginning tonight, now having offered his soul to God and having come to peace with that, now the last events of his physical life will begin uh, to happen. And it starts with the betrayal. If you're in the harmony, we're in paragraph 168 with the rejection of the king. Jesus is arrested, paragraph 168. In the Luke account, we're still on Thursday night. It's late. He's going to be up all night because there are going to be a bunch of trials that happen in these events it says in verse 47 while Jesus was still speaking Judas one of the twelve arrived with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent by the chief priests and elders of the people now along the way the Jews will actually violate their own civil and criminal codes and I've given you a list that you have in your workbook there are 22 violations of Jewish law. The first one is the very inclusion of Judas. According to Exodus 23 and verse 8, there was to be no arrest with a bribe involved in the charges. And consequently, Judas has been involved. We said last week Judas is promising to do three things. One, show the Romans and the Jews where Jesus is by himself, the Garden of Gethsemane. Second, he has gone by now to the governor and requested, along with the Jewish leaders, a cohort. A cohort is about 6,000 soldiers who would have been in Jerusalem because of the Passover, and they would have been there to quell any rebellion. And then third, we'll see this becomes a problem later, Judas has agreed to testify in the Roman court against the Lord Jesus. Second of the violations is that this happened at night. In the John account, verse eighteen, verse, uh, chapter 18 and verse 3, so Judas obtained a squad, that's four to six, I said thousand, it's four to six hundred troops, a squad of soldiers and some officers of the chief priests and Pharisees and they came to the orchard, that's the Garden of Gethsemane, with lanterns and torches and so we know it was a nighttime event. And the second violation of Jewish law is that there is to be no criminal proceedings after sunset. The third is also in this text, in the Matthew account, the chief priests and elders came and they are part of the Sanhedrin. I'll tell you about a little bit more about the Sanhedrin. But the Sanhedrin or judges were not allowed to participate in the arrest of a potential criminal. The Sanhedrin is the ruling body in Israel. There were 71 men in the Sanhedrin, okay? There were 24 chief priests, there were 24 elders, there were 22 scribes. The elders were the same as the Pharisees. So 24 chief priests, 24 Pharisees or elders, 22 scribes, and one high priest who was a Sadducee as well. And you, you had to have 23 men there to hold a trial over a capital offense. So we know that at least 23 of the 71 men are involved. It's interesting as you study Jewish law, it took only 11 out of 23 votes to declare a man not guilty. It took 13 votes to condemn a man to death under Jewish law we're going to see they violate that as well as, as well. We know there are some members of the Sanhedrin that are not present for this illegal arrest. Now back to paragraph 168 in the Matthew account. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. The sad thing is that a kiss to your rabbi was a kind res- a sign of respect and homage and he betrays jesus with a sign of homage and respect verse forty nine immediately he went up to jesus and said greetings rabbi and kissed him interesting he doesn't call him lord does he he calls him rabbi and at this point i don't think he believes that jesus is the lord in fact i'm sure uh... he doesn't now there's some really fun stuff that happens in the midst of this tragedy in the john account chapter eighteen and verse four then jesus because he knew everything that was going to happen to him, and came and asked them, who are you looking for? Verse 5, they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. He told them, I am he. Which again, if he's speaking Hebrew or Aramaic here, I am is the Hebrew way to say what? I am God. Now Judas, the one who betrayed him, was standing there with them. So when Jesus said to them, I am he, they retreated and fell to the ground. It's the Greek word in the Olympics used of a wrestler, Who pins his opponent by the neck to the ground. So when they come with the cohort, four to six hundred people, the representatives of the Sanhedrin, at least 23 men, they have the temple guard, they have Judas, you're dealing with a large mob of people that would easily fit in this garden area. But when Jesus says, I am, who do you want? I am, who do you want? I am, bam! They're on their necks. He is in total control of each and every one of these dark events. And we see that at that point, uh, Peter shows up and and he does something that's a little bit funny. Uh, <laughs> but uh, stay with me in the John account, verse 7. It says, then Jesus asked them again, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus replied, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, let these men go. He said this to fulfill the word he had spoken. I have not lost a single one of those You gave me. So, again, his goal here is to go to trial himself, to be arrested himself, but to protect the 11 disciples who are faithful to him, and that he does. Now, chapter 18 and verse 10 of the John account, it says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword... Now, why did he have a sword? Because the last time they were together at the Passover meal, Jesus said, By the way, take a sword. Okay? So Peter had that sword. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword pulled it out, and struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his right ear. Now the slave's name was Malchus. Now John, the gospel writer here, knows the family of the high priest and would have known Malchus's name. Uh, And this is almost funny if, if it isn't tragic, but what's going on here is Peter has a sword, but it's really better called a dagger. This is the small dagger you would use to kill the Passover lamb. It's what Peter had been told last week we saw where he. He and John were preparing the Passover. They would have killed the lamb with this dagger. Now, here's the deal. He is going to fight against Roman troops, but he's going to take out the the servant of the priest first. Remember the movie Ben-Hur, one of my favorite movies? And if you know anything about the Roman soldiers, you know about their swords. It's not this kind of sword. Remember, the Roman soldiers had helmets with points or they had the bushy brush across the top. And then they had shoulder pads. you notice that? Now, why is that? It's because in Rome, during this time, they had these large iron swords. And to kill people in battle, they would swing the sword, try to crack their skull, and the bushy brush would deflect, or the point would deflect the, the sword down onto a man's shoulders, which is why he would wear shoulder pads. It wasn't because he wanted to play for the New York Jets. Okay. <laughs> and so that's why the Romans dressed that way. And so Peter's apparently using this little dagger like a broadsword. He goes... And he slaps off the ear, giving him an eerie feeling or a severe irritation, however you want to take it. But Peter, verse 11, Jesus said to Peter, put back your sword into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? In fact, if you go back to the Matthew account, verse 52 in Matthew 26, then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will die by the sword. Now, it's okay to use the sword for personal defense or national defense, but not to defend the faith. And so Peter needs to learn that as he goes on about ministry. He says, Or, I love this, do you not think in the Matthew account, verse 53, that I cannot call on my Father and that He would send me more than 12 legions of angels right now? Now, how many is a legion? That's 6,000, okay? Or more. And if Jesus needed right now, he could get 12 legions of angels. 72,000 angels were at his beck and call. I don't know if you remember, but in Second Kings chapter 19, one angel killed 180,000 Assyrian troops. So this is not about does Jesus have the right to, to be defended by the angels. No, 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 no. So Peter is, uh, is absolutely taken care of. In the Mark account, 1449, day after day I was with you teaching in the courts, he says to this crew, yet you did not arrest me, but this has happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Don't miss this. Now in the Mark account, there's also another cute little facet here. Verse 51, a young man was following Jesus wearing only a loincloth. It says linen cloth, but it was a loincloth. I remember George Carlin, a learn cloth. They tried to arrest him, but he ran off naked, leaving his linen cloth behind. Now, probably that's Mark, and in the writings of ancient times, the writer would often include a little incident like this that only he would know about, and so Mark was a young man at the time, he was involved in watching Jesus be arrested, and he runs off naked, and you know the difference between naked and naked, don't you? Naked is when you have no clothes on, naked is when you have no clothes on and you're up to no good. Well, he was naked, he was in, he was in, a, lot of, he was in a lot of trouble. So back to the John account, verse 12 of John 18. Then the squad of soldiers with their commanding officers and the officers of the Jewish leaders, so the Sanhedrin's involved in there, arrested Jesus and tied him up. Now Jesus is going to be awake all night, and he's going to undergo six trials, three religious trials and three political trials. The religious trials are going to be before Annas and then Caiaphas and then Annas again. The man behind the high priesthood, the high priest was Annas, and that was his son-in-law, and then back to Annas to legitimize everything. And then he's going to be turned over to the Romans, who are ha- they'll have three trials, one in front of Pilate, and then Herod Antipas, and then back to Pilate. In the Jewish trials, In the Jewish trials, he's going to be charged with blasphemy. The problem with blasphemy is it's not a capital crime under Roman law. And they're trying to get him executed under Roman law. Under the Roman trials, Jesus is charged with sedition or treason. And treason against Rome is not a capital offense under the Jewish law. So what we have is this convoluted mess, and you'll see as the story unfolds, they continually violate their own laws. The religious trials begin in paragraph 169. The first is the examination before Annas. Annas was the high priest from 7 to 14 A.D. He was again deposed... He'd been high priest previously to that, and he was uh, actually succeeded by four of his sons, and then uh, Caiaphas was his son-in-law and later a grandson. So the, the family of Annas, which ran the temple system and made all the money off the sacrifices and the inspections and all that stuff, he's the power. Now, in the John account, chapter 18 and verse 12, it says, then the squad of soldiers with their commanding officer and the officers of the Jewish leaders arrested Jesus and tied him up, and they brought him first to Annas. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jewish leaders that it was to their advantage for one man to die for the people. Now again, the death sentence had already been pronounced in these trials. But the first thing is, you're not uh, number four, violation of Jewish law, you may not have a trial at night before the morning sacrifice, no trial, and this is going on at night. And then you could have no secret trials, which here in John 18 and verse 19, and your harmony may be a little bit messed up, just let me read it to you. John 18 verse 19 says, while this was happening, the high priest questioned Jesus and his, about his disciples and about his teaching. He's trying to get Jesus to incriminate the disciples and Jesus does not do that. Again, these verses are missing in your little harmony which we'll take, we'll take care of over time, but Jesus says, I have spoken publicly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and the temple courts where all the Jewish people assembled together and have said nothing in secret. In other words, provide a charge. Under Jewish law, you had to first of all provide a charge. None is provided. And from John 18, verse 19 down to verse 23 is a little paragraph. Verse 21 says, Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said. They know what I said. When Jesus had said this, One of the high priest's officers who stood nearby struck him on the face and said, is that the way you answer the high priest? And again, under Jewish law, that was not legal. You couldn't punch or hit or mistreat a prisoner. Verse 23, Jesus said, if I have said something wrong, confirm what is wrong. But if I spoke correctly, why strike me? So they've investigated in front of Annas, and now they go to Caiaphas, paragraph one. Again, there's no specific charge brought in front of Annas. They don't really have one at this point. Uh, But now they're going to go to Caiaphas, and we're going to see the examination here. Caiaphas was the high priest from A.D. uh, AD 25 to A.D. 36. I'm going to stay in and out of the Matthew account. In Matthew 26, verse 57, Now the ones who had arrested Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, in whose house the experts in the law and the elders had gathered. Okay, here's violation number six of the Jewish uh, legal proceedings. Violation number five, no secret trials like they just did with Annas. Number seven, Sanhedrin trials could only be conducted in the Hall of Justice, and here it's being done in the house of Caiaphas. By the way, when you visit Israel, there's a place called the Wall Museum which, in my opinion, is the House of Caiaphas. It's not the place where they take you called the Church of the Calicantu. That's a different place. But the Wall Museum very likely is, in my opinion, the House of Caiaphas. You can actually go and see the place where this took, took place 2,000 years ago. It just blows my mind, okay? Then verse 59, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were trying to find false testimony against Jesus so they could put him to death. Okay, number 7 point of disagreement with the Jewish law is the first thing that happened in a trial was that you had to provide the defense and then the accusation. They're going out of order, they're providing the accusation first. And then, interesting, the whole Sanhedrin were trying to convict him. Under Jewish law, I love this, everyone could argue for acquittal, but everyone could not argue for conviction. The man in in, in presiding cases would be the chief priest or the high priest, And if everyone said, we want to release him, he'd release him. But if everyone said, we want to convict him, he said, no, 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 you can't get that many Jewish guys to agree on that. So that's a violation of Jewish law number, is it eight? Yes, number eight. We get to Matthew 26 and verse 60. They did not find anything, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Skip over into the Mark account, verse 59 of Mark 14. Yet even on this point, their testimony did not agree. Again, under Jewish law, according to Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15, you had to have two or three witnesses in a trial, and they had to agree in every detail. So that's number nine violation of the Jewish civil and legal code. Okay. At this point, Jesus should be released, but he's not. Back to Matthew 26:62. So the high priest stood up and said to him, Have you no answer? What is this they are testifying against you? Now, again, you're not required under Jewish law, point number 10 on your list, to testify against yourself. They have, you know, you can take the fifth under Jewish law. But, verse 63, Jesus was silent. Jesus knows the rules of Jewish uh, criminal law. And he's silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now here's the the thing that's amazing to me. Caiaphas knew exactly that Jesus had claimed to be the Christ. And he knew that the Messiah was the Son of God. And he knew that Jesus had spoken that on more than one occasion. All the events of the life of Christ point to this over and over and over again. We know that, don't we? So Caiaphas is trying to get Jesus to self-incriminate here. And then Uh, We see a bunch of other smaller points. I'll I'll read down the passage and then I'll come back to the points. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. woo You have said it yourself that I am the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. woo That's a very, very uh, loaded verse that he quotes out of Daniel chapter 7. And then, verse 65, the high priest tore his clothes and declared, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? Now, again, in the Jewish criminal system, okay, the last thing we dealt with was the accused was not required to testify against himself. Point number 11, Leviticus 21 and verse 10, the high priest is not allowed to tear his clothes in a criminal case, it incites the crowd. Point number 12, the charge needs to originate with the judges and there are no judges originating the charge it's just one guy the high priest and then number 13 the charge of blasphemy is valid only if the name of god is pronounced and so when jesus says you have said it yourself uh in the mark account he says i am but even the word i am is not the name adonai it's not the word god god so you can't accuse somebody of blasphemy for calling themselves i am They have to say, I am Elohim, or I am El Shaddai, or I am Yahweh, and he he doesn't say that. So that's the 13th violation of law. It doesn't include the name of God. The 14th violation of law, in verse 63 of the Mark account, the accused may not be condemned based upon his own words, and yet it says, you have heard his blasphemy, in verse 64 of Mark 14, what is your verdict? They all condemned him as deserving of death. And then back in the Matthew account, what is your verdict? They answered, He is guilty and deserves death. Now, again, number 15, you're not allowed in a Jewish courtroom to announce the verdict at night. Okay? Number 16, in capital cases, you could only announce the verdict after 24 hours had passed. Number 17, the verdict took place after a vote, and in Jewish wisdom, they voted from the youngest to the oldest so the older men in the Sanhedrin would not influence the votes of the younger men. I think that's a very good and wise thing to do. Number 18, a unanimous guilty vote meant that a man was innocent. Number 19, the sentence was not imposed until three days after the verdict was read. Number 20, we're going to see that judges are to be humane and kind. And number 21, the condemned man was not to be beaten beforehand and let Look at verse 67 of Matthew 26. They spat into Jesus' face and struck him with their fists. And some slapped him and said, Prophesy for us, who are you Christ, who hit you? So in the Mark account, some began to spit on him and blindfold him and strike him with their fists, saying, Prophesy, and the guards also took and beat him. So this is the first of several beatings Jesus will incur during that night. Many of these violations of Jewish law are, are abounding and, uh, and in the midst of all this, in the midst of all this, we have Peter. The last time Jesus and Peter were alone in the garden, Peter had fallen asleep. But they had just come from the Passover meal. And you remember at the Passover meal, Peter said, I don't know about the rest of these guys, but I'll die for you, Lord. And now we have this sad case of the denials of Peter. Matthew 26, verse 58. But Peter was following him at a distance all the way to the priest's courtyard. After going in, he sat with the guards to see the outcome. Now, how did he get into the priest's courtyard? Well, it's a fairly public area, number one. Also, Peter was a great friend of John who knew the high priest's family. Maybe John lets his buddy Peter in so he can watch what's going on. Verse 70, what he saw... <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse 69. Now, Peter was outside sitting in the courtyard and a slave girl came to him and said, you're with Jesus the Galilean. See, she recognized Peter visibly. But he denied it in front of them all. All the guards who were there, who were involved in the arrest, the cohort, the temple guard, I'm not one of them. So that's his bold assertion. I don't know what you're talking about. Then verse 71, when he went out to the gateway, another slave girl saw him and said said to the people there, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. This time, verse 72, he denied it again with an oath and said, I do not know the man. The word did denied it with an oath, is he swore at Jesus. And then verse 73, after a little while, those standing there came up to Peter and said, you really are one of them. Even your accent gives them away. You see, people in the north said, youse guys. And people in southern Palestine said, y'all. And Peter was very, very evidently a Galilean. At that time, he began to, to curse, and he swore with an oath, I do not know the man. At that moment, the rooster crowed. We're dealing probably with about 3 o'clock in the morning here, Thursday night into Friday morning. Then in the Matthew account, verse 75, says, Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So we have the first trial by Annas, then the trial in front of the Sanhedrin at the house of Caiaphas. The, the, The charges are trumped up. The travesty of justice continues. Back to Annas to give some kind of legal appearance to the trial. verse 20, uh, Chapter 27, verse 1 of Matthew, when it was early in the morning, Mark 15, 1, early in the morning, Luke 22, 66, when day came. So they've had a long night. Jesus has been arrested. He's been on trial. The rooster has crowed. His disciples have scattered. He's spent a long, dark, lonely night. And then in the Luke account, it says in verse 67 of Luke 22, it, they said, they led Jesus away to their council and said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God? Then he answered them, you say that I am. They said, and then they said, why do we need further testimony? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips and so even without witnesses present they feel like they have a case that will hold up in court now they don't but they have also kept another man awake all night they have kept a man named Pilate awake all night Pilate is going to be the executioner for jesus and it's interesting that the the romans were the only ones who could execute a criminal the jews way of execution was stoning But Jesus couldn't be stoned to death. He had to be executed by crucifixion, according to Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. So the Jews and the Romans have to get in bed together to pull this off. So the next thing we have are the three political trials. But before the first political trial, we have the death of Judas, paragraph 173. Matthew 27, 3, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus had been condemned, he regretted what he had done. Now, that he doesn't say he repented, he just regretted what he had done. And he returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? You take care of it yourself. So he threw the silver coins into the temple and left. Then he went out and hanged himself. The problem with that is now the main guy who had gotten the cohort, the main Roman witness who's going to stand trial in front of Jesus and accuse him of treason is not available. And that's going to create an even more convoluted mess. Judas was not necessary in the Jewish trials, but he was definitely necessary in the Roman trials. And so they begin the first civil trial before Pilate, paragraph 174. They tied him up and led Jesus away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. John 18, they brought Jesus, verse 28, from Caiaphas to the Roman governor's residence. Now it was very early morning. This, is, this just blows me away. They did not go into the governor's residence so they would not be ceremonially defiled but could eat the Passover. What a great bunch of garbage and hypocrisy that is. They didn't want to be unclean for the feast, but they were willing to be un- unclean enough to kill an innocent man. Now Pilate... Was a man born in Spain? Spain was big at the time of Jesus. He lived in Caesarea, which is on the coast of Israel. There's you get to visit the ruins today, and you can actually walk in the ruins of what probably were Pilate's home. And then uh, he is uh, appointed governor of Judea in 26 A.D. So he's the governor from 26 to 36 A.D. And he is uh, in Jerusalem for the Passover to make sure there's no rebellion. And he's known for his extreme cruelty to the Jewish people. Okay? So Pilate came outside, John verse 29, to, to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Okay, I want to see the official indictment signed and sealed by Judas. And they said, well, if this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. So this is their pressure tactic. Pilate right, said, take them yourselves and pass judgment on them according to your law. The Jewish, re- Jewish leaders replied, we cannot legally put anyone to death. Now that's interesting. Because according to the Jewish Talmud, the Jews were allowed to execute criminals by stoning until 40 years prior to the destruction of the temple, which is 30 AD. This is the first year they're not allowed to execute people by stoning so that Jesus could be crucified. Isn't I just, just point out how great God is in the Luke account it says they began to accuse him saying we found this man subverting our nation forbidding us to pay the tribute tax to Caesar and claiming that he himself is Christ a king so verse 3 of Luke 23 Pilate asked Jesus are you the king of the Jews and Jesus said you if you say so this happened verse 32 in the in the John account to fulfill the words Jesus had spoken and when he indicated what kind of death he was going to die he knew he was going to be crucified. He predicts it on three different occasions. So Pilate went back into the governor's residence and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He was, are you a competitor of Caesar? That's Pilate's goal, is to please Caesar. Jesus says, are you saying this on your own initiative or have others told you about me? Pilate said, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own people and your chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, my kingdom is is not from this world if my kingdom were from this world my servants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the jewish authorities but as it is my kingdom is not from here and pilate said so you are a king jesus replied you say that i am a king for this reason i was born and for this reason i came into the world to testify to the truth everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice pilate asked what is truth great irony in that question. The one who is truth is standing in front of him and he doesn't recognize that truth is in the person of Jesus. When he said this, he went back outside to the Jewish leaders and announced for the first of many times, I find no basis for an accusation against him. So this is the first time in the Roman trials he's declared innocent. His interrogation ends with no charges Jesus is indeed the king, but he's the king of truth. But along the way, look at the Luke account, verse 20, chapter 23 and verse 5. They persisted in saying he incites the people by teaching throughout all Judea. It started in Galilee and ended up here. Now, along the way, Pilate's ears perk up. Galilee, huh? Okay, I don't want to condemn this man, but if he's a Galilean, I got it out here because we're all here for the Passover. Herod's there to quell any rebellion, but he knows that Herod Antipas, who is the ruler of Galilee, is nominally Jewish, and he is also going to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. So Pilate says, you know, i got an out here. If I take this whole mess and give it to Herod, I'll let him deal with it. And even though uh, Herod was under Pilate in in authority, Pilate's going to bow to him a little bit, and they're going to create a friendship out of what had not been a friendship. So when Pilate heard this, in paragraph 175, we're going to find the trial before Herod, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. When he learned that he was from Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who also happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him. Remember what Herod had done to John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin? Remember he'd killed him, had his head on a plate? Because he had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform some miraculous magic trick. So Herod questioned him at considerable length. Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and experts in the law were there vehemently accusing him. He's guilty, he's guilty, he's guilty, he's guilty, he's guilty. Even Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. That's the second mockery of Jesus. And they dressed him in elegant clothes. They gave him a robe and Herod sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other, for prior to this, they had become enemies. When Pilate came to Israel, he took all of the Jewish shields down from the temple and the palace of Herod. And Herod was miffed about that. And they hated each other. But after this, Pilate bows to the authority of Herod, and Herod forgives Pilate and their buddies to the end of time. So he goes back to Pilate for the third civil trial, paragraph 176. Pilate is obviously displeased with this whole mess. Matthew 27, verse 15, During the feast, the governor was accustomed to release one prisoner to the crowd, whomever they wanted. At that time, they had encusted a notorious prisoner named what? Jesus Barabbas. By the way, Jesus is Yeshua Barabbas is Bar, son, Abba, father. Jesus, the son of the father. It's a very ironic thing that the insurrectionist, treason, traitor who is in custody of Rome is named Jesus, the son of the father. So after they would assembled, verse 17, Pilate said, "'Whom do you want me to release for you, Jesus, Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called the Christ?' For He knew they had handed him over because of envy. Underline that. This whole thing's about envy. This whole mess is about envy. As he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, and the judgment seat, that's where the tradition happened, his wife, who was probably a woman named Claudius, sent a message to Pilate Have nothing to do with that innocent man. I have suffered greatly as a result of a dream about him today. Now, maybe she'd been up all night too. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor asked, which of them do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said, crucify, crucify. These people, I'm guessing, are not the same people who at the triumphal entry on Sunday, the week before, had yelled, Baruch, Hababa Hashem, Adonai. But these are the common Jews who have come under the leadership of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. They bought into the excuse of the Sanhedrin, and now, because of mob psychology, they're screaming. Verse 23, he asked, why? What wrong has he done? But they shouted more insistently, crucify him. Crucify him. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but that instead a riot was starting, he took some water, washed his hands before the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. You take care of it yourself. This is the fifth declaration of innocence in all these trials. And then in verse 25, one of the sad verses of all of Scripture, in reply, all the people said, let his blood be on us, and on our children. We're here in 30 A.D. Okay? We are on uh, Friday, April 7th, the 15th of Nisan. And those people have children who 40 years later would suffer the incredible consequences of their forefathers. Let his blood be on us and on our children. And with that, The die is cast. He released Barabbas for them, verse 26. But after he had Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. So Jesus goes through six different tests three religious tests. He's innocent, but convicted illegally. He goes through three political trials. He's innocent, but convicted illegally. And uh, I'll just leave you with this 1 Peter 2 says, For you have been called for this purpose, for since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. We have a God who allows us from time to time to go through trials, And go through suffering. James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And Jesus is our model when it comes to trials. He just kept trusting God. Just kept trusting God. Just kept trusting God. Whatever you're going through tonight, you can know that you can trust God with it. Father, thank you for your son who is an incredible example to us of grace under incredible injustice. And we pray you would find us worthy followers. In Jesus' name, amen.